Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. And to help make that happen for our tribe this week, here's one thing we all need a little bit more of, and that is compassion. Although Tara Well calls herself a mirror-gazing expert, what this really means is that she helps people find a way back into themselves. We all need a little bit of that. She does that by teaching self-compassion through mirror meditation. There's so much I could relate to in our conversation with Tara. She said after a whole lot of years of disregarding her feelings, she found something as simple as looking into the mirror that helped her with self-awareness and emotional regulation. And that is all her work right now. Now she shares her method with others and it really does seem to be working. The research is bearing that out. But those miracles all are well backed by science too. It's not just some woo-woo. Tara is an associate psychology professor at Barnard College of Columbia University, and that's where she teaches the theoretical base for her mirror work. And on top of that, she's also a prolific writer. She has a column for Psychology Today uh, called The Clarity, and it's got over a million readers. Yeah, and so when her life becomes overwhelming, Tara's mirror practice for years... When her life becomes overwhelming, Tara says that the mirror practice to do just the same. I think you'll love this conversation. Tara, well, welcome to the show. Hey, Tara. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to connect with you. We're so glad you're here with us today. Yes, so glad that we could make this happen. Uh, Excited. You've been all over the place with this mirror meditation. It's really, really gotten a lot of traction over the past at least couple of years that I can tell. You've written at least a popular guidebook on it. You did a, a popular TED Talk on mirror meditation. So for our audience, the people who haven't heard about this yet, Tara, could you give us a high level view? What is is mirror meditation. And as I understand it, it begins with the way we tend to objectify ourselves when we look in a mirror and then maybe not feel so great about what we're seeing. Yes, indeed. Um, Most of us have a complex relationship with the mirror and sort of maybe a a love-hate relationship with the mirror. Most times when we look in the mirror, we tend to see flaws and foibles and things that are wrong and things that we like, that we want to change about ourselves. So we can oftentimes sometimes even avoid looking in the mirror. But I found that the mirror is a really, really practical tool for self-awareness and using it as a meditation tool can also really help people in a number of ways. So I've developed a practice and a set of exercises for people to do. And uh, I also work with people individually. I do workshops and I do online sessions with people. And basically they're mirror gazing sessions in which I have people just look at themselves in the mirror with no goal other than to be present with themselves. So it's not about saying affirmations or criticizing oneself, but just applying the principles of mindfulness meditation, which is letting yourself just be in the present moment having open awareness, 
which is just being open to anything that might happen, not having any preconceived ideas about what it's going to be like, and just being willing to try it and be open. And mm-hmm. the third component is having a, a kind intention toward yourself as you look, which can sometimes be difficult for people because we're many of us are in the habit of self-critical thoughts that yeah. run in the background. And the mirror can sometimes really magnify those and bring them to light. So you're saying it's not like the Stuart Smalley looking in the mirror and doggone it, people like me. No, no, no. It, it, I mean, you can do affirmations and there's actually some work showing that um, depending on how you do the affirmations, you can develop self-compassion. But I find that um, the mirror is most useful when you start at least to just be curious about what you see and what comes to mind. You know, sometimes we can Mm. gloss over what's, what we're really feeling and what we're really experiencing with positive affirmations. So we don't want to do that too soon Mm. to fill in that awkward gap of silence or what do I do now? Oh, I'll just say, I love myself to myself in the mirror. Yeah. (laughs) I I would, I would suggest to, to just, you know, build a little bit of tolerance of just uh, hanging out with yourself and not having to do anything and, and seeing what feelings come to mind and uh, what, what comes up for you to just kind of confront yourself in that way. Yeah. So what is, when you're working with people, especially in a workshop setting, I'm really curious, like if they've never, people that have never done this before, um, cause even as you're describing it, I'm, I'm feel, I have a sense of anxiety around it. Like, oh my gosh, that's, super vulnerable, that's super exposed. Uh, how do people react? And like, what's the response that, that you most often see? Yes, it's definitely um, something that is challenging for many, many people and a little bit scary. So, um, well, we work up to it gradually. I have a number of exercises that I, I guide people through about just exploring their feelings that come up around the idea of even doing this. So I don't just, just, you know, push them off a cliff and go stare at yourself for 10 minutes, you know, or something. But, um, um, we go through a series of exercises about, you know, what you see when you look, because oftentimes too, what happens is many of us have such a critical voice that's constantly running in the background. And then when we look at ourselves in the mirror, it activates that voice. And that's why we don't want to look. There's a part of ourselves that we don't want to see. So the idea of looking in the mirror, we think we don't want to look in the mirror, but really it's sort of, we, we, we're, we're sort of, concerned about or want to kind of protect ourselves from those critical voices that are always running. But I think the opposite is really true. And we want to bring those critical voices to light and take a good look at them. And once we realize how critical we are, then we have the choice of how to change that. But if we keep, if we keep wanting to keep them out of our awareness, um, by not looking closely at ourselves, then they continue to uh, affect the quality of our lives in ways that we don't have as much control over. Mm-hmm. I think there's something really, um, I guess, emotional. I don't know. There, it's not yeah, like just to be seen. You know, I think there's something so powerful about that that I, I don't. And I'm I'm really curious what you think about that. The um, I, I totally get the kind of running or hiding from the inner critic and there's some exposure that happens, but there's also this, um, 
emotion, I, th- I think that wells up for a lot of people just to simply be seen. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's in a mirror, it's seeing ourselves, but I was on a coaching call last night, um, with an, it's actually my, an Enneagram coach that I'm working with. And she was talking and she was looking at me and I just started crying. She's like, what are your, what, what's going on? I was like, it's just so like to be seen, to be acknowledged is so emotional. Yes. I totally agree with you on that one. Um, you know, we, have a, we're basically hardwired for face-to-face contact. So even as infants, you know, we have the strong desire to pull a focus toward us. So we're seen and so our needs are met. Uh, Face-to-face contact is also how we learn to regulate our emotions because we engage in social mimicry and sort of where we imitate the emotions of the other person we're we're, we're in, we're in face-to-face communication with. So it's how we learn what our emotions are and then how to, how to regulate and modulate them when we're in contact with other people. So what happens when we're in, I guess, even like before COVID and zoom and all, and you know, we were having so much, uh, face to face contact on, on video. Um, what oftentimes happens is we don't really take the time to look at each other. And so in that way, there's less emotional contact between us. There's less vulnerability between us, but there's also less opportunities for a deeper connection when we don't take the time to really see totally, yeah, our, each other and ourselves. Yeah. Um, well, I think th- this reminds me a little bit too. So basically, the the mirror is a tool for helping increase some self awareness. And you know, I, th- I remember we were really emphasizing self awareness. Uh, in September when we were having a, a theme on it. And one of the things that I found, you know, interesting is we kind of thought about, well, why are we sometimes more blind to ourselves? Like, why can others be able to give us pretty immediate feedback on things that we should be able to see, but are unwilling or or maybe literally just have these blind spots? So I, I, I guess I'm curious, like, how did you begin, you know, incorporating um, the mirror in, as a tool? Um, and, and is this why it can be such a powerful tool for med- meditation? Because we're literally like maybe being a little less self-aware? Yes, I think it's important to to note that the mirror can increase our self-awareness, but it's also important to get feedback from other people because <laughs> oh, yeah. we can't just like look in the mirror and, and discover everything we need to know about ourselves. But one of the, one of the, um, uh, uh, things that I, I work on with um, my coaching clients is also having been in relationships in which they weren't reflected accurately. That is, you know, sometimes people can give us very good feedback that's really wonderful, that really helps us change and grow, but we can also be in relationships in which people don't give us accurate feedback so based that's on right. their, their uh, motives and intentions toward us or how they pr- prefer to see us or, or, or they just uh, aren't accurate. So um, I do work with a lot of clients who've been in relationships where they've been sort of almost like gaslighted or if they've been criticized or if they've come to believe some things about themselves from being constantly told things that just aren't accurate. So... And one of the ways we work with that in the mirror is to simply, you know, say those things that that person is saying to you and 
how does that feel in your body? We also do a lot of body awareness. So it's, it's not just looking, but it's using our breath and it's also using body sensations as we look, you know, what, how does your breathing change when you first look at yourself? Um, you know, what kind of body sensations are you feeling as you recall this incident, as you sit with yourself, you know, where does your attention go? So it's really an open inquiry that can go in just so many different places as we just engage in the practice. Can you, <clears throat> excuse me, talk a little bit about the shift that you see happen in people that, that like regularly practice this, you know, I'm imagining starting and I, I use my calm app almost every morning, uh, for uh-huh. 10 minutes and I, and it's really hard for me. And so I, I I think um, um, this type of work with a mirror, um, I think could be a lot more, I don't know, like directional, like giving me a sense of, of um, doing something more than just being still for 10 minutes, which is what a lot of uh, my meditation time is right now. So like starting that, it feels daunting. It feels a little vulnerable to the mirror meditation. So if I'm starting there, like what's the pathway of, of growth that you see people um, kind of shift toward? Yeah, well, I think one of the main things is that people don't realize how kind of cruel they are to themselves yeah. and their inner voices. So many, most everyone is very critical of some aspect of their appearance, if not many aspects of their appearance. Um, I, I call it the the... the the, the trifecta of self-cruelty, that I'm, I'm old, I'm fat, I'm ugly, are the three mm-hmm. main variations I see of people do that. And so I think one of the, the main shift that occurs or the first shift that I see occur with people who are dedicated to doing this is that they come to realize how, how cruel they are being to themselves by every time they look in the mirror saying, oh, I'm, I'm fat, I'm getting old, uh, you know, my nose is too big or, you know, whatever they're thing is that they tend to focus on. And when they realize how much time they're spending and how unkind they are to themselves and how they would never talk to somebody they love the way they would talk to themselves, even in their minds, that that, you know, I think too, sometimes people feel almost sad when they realize how they've been treating themselves without even being aware of it. And, and, and then, yeah. Once you know that, then, then, you know, it's sort of like you can be doing this thing that's harmful. And if you don't know you're doing it, it's, you're just like, you're in bliss. You think, oh, well, it's fine. But once you know you're doing something that really is affecting you in this negative way, it becomes much more difficult to keep doing it. Mm. I think about too, um, so like <clears throat> the work that in the Enneagram is really identifying the ego and, you know, personality, when we're in personality, this is kind of how we construct our identity. Um, and I would put the inner critic certainly in that ballpark. Um, but, you know, the goal of getting, you know, the spiritual growth of moving toward true self and essence and kind of who you really are. So, like, identifying those that critical voice, the cruelty that you're talking about, I think is such a perfect doorway into okay, well, who am I really? Like, what are my, what is that core self? And being able to spend time with it, I think is, is a, is a really beautiful thing that I can see coming from this meditation. 
Yes, I, I, I agree with you. And, and one of the things too, is like, sometimes when people, when I say mere meditation, you know, they're like, oh, I have to meditate. I have to sit with my eyes closed. I have to breathe. I have to like do all these things and sit in a cross-legged position. And, but what you can do too, is you can just say, I'm going to have a 10 minute meeting with myself. Yeah, and I'm I just going to look at myself in the mirror and I'm going to listen. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to listen. And, and you find that that true self or, or those deeper emotions or that deeper wisdom yes. is under that, that layer of criticism. But you have to be patient enough to sit with yourself and wait for yourself to drop and settle because that's it's like a deeper layer of yourself and you, you have to have spend the time to, 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 to let it kind of emerge. You can't force it. You can't just mm-hmm. shift and go, I'm going to sit and meditate and, and be in touch with my true self. You know, you have to, you can't will, you, you can't use your ego to will yourself to be, you know, in that state or in that level of awareness. Yeah. But, but having a practice where you regularly have a meeting with yourself in front of the mirror I find that for me and for the uh, people I work with who've been doing it for a while, you can definitely connect with that higher, uh, that higher self or the wiser self or, you know, the core essence of, you know, whatever kind of spiritual tradition or, 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 you know, just psychological Mm -hmm. theory that all those traditions have the same kind of notion that, you know, there's a wise part in us that, um, we don't always have access to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of research bears this out in terms of the inner critic, right? Uh, I, I would guess that there's not a lot of research on specifically mirror meditation yet, but what, what has some of the, do you, are you aware of just what is some of the most interesting um, literature out there and what it's telling us about these um, critical voices that we have? Well, one of the main things about the critical voice, and I actually have a chapter of this in the book that I'm that I'm writing now, uh, is is specifically on self-talk, and we find that by shifting our perspective uh, on self-talk as a way to get um, more perspective, basically on how our self-talk is affecting us. So instead of saying, you know, uh, you can shift into using the third person, you can talk about it. You know, you can say, you know. Uh, um, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I, I don't know, I can say I'm feeling fat today, you're feeling fat today, Tara's feeling fat today, or whatever it is that you're self-criticizing. And you you look at how these different perspectives um, affect how you're feeling, and they also give you a broader view of how kind of small-minded some of our criticisms about ourselves are so that we can actually shift that critical voice. Um, another technique is the, the, the research on rumination, which shows that when we get into ask, thinking about why things happened to us or why did I do that or why did that person do me or why did my mom say that when I was a kid or whatever it is, that we can kind of get in a rumination loop of kind of almost validating these things. And so we want to shift that, shift the why to the what. It's like, so that happened. So what's next for me? What did I learn from this? What do I want to do differently? What does this mean for me moving forward? Kind of a thing. Um, And 
I also have a technique that I'm I'm uh, talking about in the book uh, on video journaling. And what we do in video journaling is you just uh, every night, usually at the end of the night, or sometimes you know at, at the beginning of the day works for some people, is you just um, you know take out your phone and make a video journal of yourself talking or saying nothing for ten minutes, and you just talk and say whatever comes to mind. That's really hard. Censoring yourself at all. I've been doing this every day for about seven years, and it's profoundly. A lot of things have happened in that time in my life. Some very big life changes have happened in my life. And it is amazing to look back on it and to see. Um, I think the main thing that I realize that I realize personally and that my my clients realize is you don't realize how well you've coped with things because mm-hmm. we have negativity bias that we only remember the things we screwed up or we still have to fix. <laughs> You know, so I go back and I look at the video journal, like during that time, like both of my parents died. I took them through hospice care. I, I moved, I I ended a long-term relationship, lots of different changes in my life. And so if I'm just recalling what happened in the seven years, I tend to focus on, you know, bigger things that were good and then very tiny mistakes that I made or things that I said that I regretted saying. But then when I go back and I look at my vid- videos, I'm like, oh my God, I did, I did all this. I can't believe I did all this. This is amazing. You know, yeah, came out on the other side. So, well, it, this yeah. is really interesting. So this sounds very similar to just regular old journaling um, in terms of the experience you might have going back to it. Um I've got a lot of questions. I think, so how long do you do these? And then, honestly, how do you um, save everything and archive it? Yeah, well, I I save it all on an, on an iCloud, and I and before before iCloud got, I mean. And and you could certainly argue that maybe that's not the most secure way to do it. But I mean, I'm not. I don't have any really big, you know. I don't have any really big secrets. Certainly some things I wouldn't want people to to find that would be personally embarrassing, but nothing really super terrible, you know? So, um, so I say, I save them on an iCloud. And then what I do too is, um, I do it for 10 minutes every day and then I review them. I, I review, um, usually at the end of the day and now too, you know, I don't always have time to do this, but I do now because, we're kind of in this lockdown situation where I don't have, I'm, you know, around and I'm working on my book and spending a lot of time in solitude, which is great. I do the video journal and then I go back to last week at this time and I review that one. And then I look at the one from yesterday and, and this is great for me because, you know, I've just moved to a new place and I've done so much and I review what I did like last week. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I did all that. And mm-hmm. That was only a week ago when I did this and this and this and this. And then sometimes too, what I'll do is I'll go back and I'll look at like, today's January 27th. So I'll go and look at my video journal from January 27th of last year, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that. When I, when I need to um, realize how much I've changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, oh goodness, yeah. It's mirror meditation, but it's documenting it. Right. And and the thing about this too that's that's different than um uh writing in a journal is that oftentimes when you write in a journal and 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 there's lots of 
good research showing that journal writing is fantastic for people to do. It has a lot of uh, actually even physical and psychological health benefits to writing in a journal regularly. But um, the video journal preserves all the emotions because sometimes mm. when you go back on your on your um, on your um, writing, you don't always get the emotional flavor of it as readily as you do when you see mm -hmm. your face, you know, like going back and looking at the journals when I was taking care of my mother, when she was in hospice care, you know, I have so much compassion for myself that I would not have if I just wrote in a journal or if I didn't keep track of that. Um, I think that's the other main thing that people get from, from doing the videos as well as, um, uh, the mirror meditation, because Particularly in the videos, you know, you'll just make a video and you're feeling all emotional about something and you'll be like, blah, 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 goodbye. And then you look at it like three days later or, or three years later and you'll be like, oh my God, I was like suffering so much then. And I was just kind yeah. of like blowing myself off and just keeping rolling, doing all this stuff without even acknowledging how distressed I was or, or whatever, or sadness or anger. So it, it's a way of helping people sort of integrate their emotions as well, because oftentimes we have, um, we don't have as much training in integrating negative emotions. And this I talk about mm -hmm. in the book as well, the idea that when someone's very angry or sad or distressed, we tend not to look at them. We tend to look away because we don't want to get into, involved in an emotion co contagion in which we catch that emotion from them. Or we might be embarrassed or, or we might, um, you know, if someone's angry, we don't want to stare at them directly because they could, that could be interpreted as a confrontation. Mm -hmm. But what happens when people are experiencing negative emotions and particularly children and we don't pay attention to them, they don't learn how to integrate their emotions. So there's a way that when you're feeling sad or when you're feeling angry that you kind of feel like lost and disconnected because the, the kind of contingencies that we grew up with was, well, when I cry, people don't pay attention to me. Or when, or when I get angry or raise my voice, people retreat from me and I'm all alone here and I'm feeling angry and I don't know what to do. So it isn't always practical to yell at people or to be super sad in front of them or, or you know, cry or whatever. I mean, sometimes it's, it's nice to be able to do that in intimate relationships, but we don't always have those kinds of resources mm -hmm. available to us all the time. But you always have yourself. So you can always whip out your video journal and make a video of yourself crying or being really angry, seeing a bunch of really angry things that you just want to say, but you can't say it to that person because you'd ruin your relationship or you'd get fired or... You'd go to jail or something. I don't know what you, what, but the idea is that you want to be able to be so comfortable and self-aware of yourself that you feel comfortable sharing anything that you're feeling with yourself. Mm -hmm. You might not be comfortable well, sharing with everybody else, but, but, but there's, but there's no reason why you shouldn't be comfortable sharing with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's just you. Yeah, you know, this is called being an influencer on social media, actually, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just sharing, right? Right, yeah, sharing your it, emotions. Um, yeah, it makes me, you know, think of because I, um, I get so, and I think a lot of a lot of people do get so wrapped up in kind of impression management, image management, and so yeah, it becomes kind of the default to curb especially the negative emotions. Like it is embarrassing. Like I do have to, um, 
you know, keep up the image that I'm um, compassionate and wise and blah, 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 <laughs> you know, all the things that I try to make people think I am. Um, and I am all those things, but I'm also, I can get like, I call it my Irish temper and I get really pissed off and I need to unload. And so, so the idea of kind of putting down that the need to manage my image is really, um, I love that. I think that's a huge thing. And I think for people in our audience who are so driven and success and goal oriented and like making, you know, doing big things with their life to, to be able to have this tool and lay all that shit down and just be with yourself, I think is, um, is said is a real gift. So I hope people hear that. Yeah. And it's, and it's really powerful too, to see yourself angry on a recording or to see yourself very yeah. sad. Um, because oftentimes, again, we don't get th- those emotions reflected to us. And, and that's, you know, so that's a part of ourselves that we're not willing to look at or connect with. And I'd argue too, and I think there's a lot of research evidence for this, that if your anger isn't integrated, if you don't accept it and see it and be able to manage it, it's much more dangerous to to be in a situation where you're denying that you're angry than to really say, oh, you know, I'm not going to say that or do that right now, but I'm going to go make a video journal about how pissed off I am about this. Mm -hmm. It's much better than pretending like, oh, I'm nice. I'm kind. I'm this wonderful person. People like, people like me never get angry. Right. People like me never get sad because I have this great life on Instagram, so I'm never sad or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So so letting yourself feel that full range of emotions, and even if you don't show it to anybody but yourself, at least you're willing to see yourself feel the full range of human emotions because we all have the whole, full range of human emotions. I bet yeah. that that does make a difference. That would be an interesting study to to follow some people doing some some vi- because it'd be kind of innovative too. We all have our phones. I, I bet I would really be curious who's doing anything like that. Are, are people doing research around that, Tara? Do you? I mean, are you doing some? There, I'm doing some. It's it's kind of gotten a bit uh, a bit delayed just because of the the logistics at this time period. And I'm also writing a book, so I'm very intensely writing a book on. Yeah. Uh, all these with all the exercises in them. Um, it There's a lot of variables to control in regular meditation studies, and there's even more to control in mere meditation studies because yeah. people are on different trajectories in terms of when they make that shift to in self-awareness as they look at themselves. So for some people, they can make that shift right away and be like, oh my God, I'm so mean to myself. I'm going to look at myself in this other way. And other people, again, are very... Um, as Shelley was mentioning, you can become so um, uh, good at impression management that you kind of forget who you are. Mm-hmm. So when you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, I'm this together person. Look at me. I do need a haircut and not a few people here, but I'm pretty together, you know? And 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 that and it takes a, a while to kind of crack that that shell for people no. to to be like, maybe I'm not as together. Maybe I'm just Kind of like I'm a mess under all this, you know. I am really glad you bring this up, actually, because, you know, on the other side, um, as we've been, you know, as the last several years especially have brought to awareness, we live in this age of narcissism. But oddly enough, like your research 
you know, I think this is a wonderful counterintuitive finding is your experience, at least, I don't know about the research, but it's showing that when you spend time gazing in the mirror, at least thoughtfully, uh, you're more inclined to having compassion and empathy for others. So could you tell us a little bit how it ends up working out this way? Yes, it's re- well, the relationship between mirrors and narcissists is fascinating. I've done a, a lot of thinking about it and writing about it, too. I have a whole big chapter in my book on it. And, um, you know, that relationship between narcissism and the mirror really comes about because in most theories, most traditional psychoanalytic theories and more modern theories is... Um, people who develop narcissistic tendencies were raised in a way that they were raised to believe that their image and who they were and who their parents want them, wanted them to be was much more important than who they actually were. Mm-hmm. So that their, that core essence uh, that we talked about earlier or that bigger self or that wiser self was not reflected and acknowledged by parents. Mm-hmm. So, the narcissist is in, is looking in the mirror, trying to find that essence, but getting kind of lost in the image that they've created. So, uh, the research does show that narcissistic people are rated as being more attractive than people with less narcissistic traits, and so that th- that they're that they want to focus on their image and that they do a lot to cultivate an external image uh, is really um, validated in the research. But what happens is that you might have, a narcissist might have a special relationship with a mirror in, in that they, they just see that outer image and that, and that even research in neuroscience shows that they have, um, more difficulty turning off their self-focus. So they're very focused on themselves. And the main, the main characteristic of narcissistic personality disorder is a lack of empathy. So they don't really understand the emotions in other people. And the, the research in neuroscience actually shows that this is, this is because they can't turn off self-focus in their brain. They can only think about themselves, 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 themselves. And I think that this is primarily because they just weren't reflected in terms of how they were how they were feeling as children. They had to act a certain way to get the praise and recognition, and now they replicate that in on social media and building a lifestyle around getting uh, what's called narcissistic supply, which is just praise and admiration and likes on social media on followers. Um, and that that's really a poor substitute for the kind of validation we can get when we have, um, real intimacy in our relationships with other people who see us deeply and can be with us when we're vulnerable, because that's the other aspect of it too. Um, when I work with people who have narcissistic tendencies, they, they have no trouble looking and gazing themselves in the mirror for forever, but they can't, they, they do have a challenge of, of dropping in and seeing their vulnerability and letting themselves, uh, be vulnerable or, or be sad or angry or, or messy or disorganized or confused or whatever it is that they're most 
dread seeing whatever it is that they were conditioned or taught as children that they weren't allowed to show anyone. So it's it's kind of identifying that core thing. And, and then pretty hard to lose, isn't it? Once that's so it's pretty ingrained because it does happen for such a long period of time in the formative childhood phase. Yeah, well, and, and the research really shows that narcissists don't, and, and I should say too, I'm not a licensed psychotherapist. So I work with people in a normal range of, of, um, of, of life challenges, but people who are more in the psychiatric range, I refer them to uh, um, uh, my colleagues who are psychiatrists and, and a licensed psychologist. But um, people who have that self-focus that tends to be kind of self-enhancing, um, oftentimes they'll come to see me or they'll come to for, for help in some, some way when something happens and they're feeling a bit vulnerable, but they're able to then quickly recover from that and then they don't need any help. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing too. And this has uh, been written about in terms of case studies with um, uh, clinical case studies of people who work, of clinical psychologists who work with narcissists, that if something really happens that kind of cracks their narcissistic shell, then a therapist someone needs to get in there right away and and try and help them sh make the shift but but generally speaking because it's such a strong defense that they'll just be like oh i'm fine now see you later kind of a yeah. thing <clears throat> so yeah and you can only work with people who want to be helped or who right. who want to who who want to grow and want to change so that's the thing yeah i um yeah that was one of my questions so chad Chad stole it was <laughs> Sorry, narcissism, you know, just think, I think some people that are hearing us talk about mirror meditation might think, well, that's just like self-interested narcissistic, you know, I'm going to look at myself. That's what I already do. <laughs> so I, yeah. So I think the distinction here is that, um, this, this tool, this process allows anybody to, you know, the, the mirror of the self, um, to, to really like almost activate different parts of your brain that can see through different eyes. Cause I think that what I, I've worked with some narcissist type of folks, um, on the spectrum in different ways. And there is this constant looking for themselves through other people, you know, mm -hmm. so I think, I think the challenge is getting them to the mirror, um, or to therapy or, you know, to, to acknowledge that the whole, uh, but once they're in it and, and can actually do some of the practice, then it, it's really, uh, I think could be phenomenal to think about the work they could do. So I, I, yeah, I'm glad that you spoke to that a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's one of the most common, you know, I, I usually get one of two reactions when I actually say this in my, in my TEDx talk, I say, when I go to parties and people ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a mirror gazing expert <laughs> <laughs> and, and some turn away, you know, thinking I'm a narcissist enabler, you know, and, <laughs> and so, because, you know, it's, it's just kind of the top of the mind thing that people either think, oh, that's so narcissistic or they go, oh my God, I would never look at myself in the mirror. It's either one or the other. It's either, it's either they think I'm a narcissist and I'm trying to enable people to be narcissistic or, or I'm trying to get them to, you know, do something that's going to be, that's going to make them feel terrible about themselves. Yeah. So it, it's, so, you know, it, it's, it's right. one of those things too that, you know, I think when you do something new that I think has the 
potential to really, really be helpful to people that's a little bit innovative and different that, you know, you get pushback from people because yeah, they, they don't yeah. want to... Because when, when we first hear something that, that might be helpful, we oftentimes go, eh, I don't yeah. so, yeah. so that's just something I'm, I've gotten used to. I don't take it personally anymore when people people bring yeah. that up as a thing like, oh, you must be a narcissist or oh, that's just so narcissistic. You know, and I'm hoping too, once the book gets out too, like I have a whole book that explains it because I oftentimes can't cram it all into an elevator speech when right. I meet someone, you know? <laughs> there is a lot to it that you, I mean, I'm actually like, I can see all the layers to this that I didn't know, you know, 30, 45 minutes ago. So um, I want to, I want to read a quote. I want, we're going to wrap up here, but I, I want to read this quote just because it's making me think of your work. Uh, it's by Joseph Campbell, you know, the famed mythologist and teacher. Um, he says, you must have a place to go a place to which you can go in your heart, your mind, or your house almost every day where you do not know what you owe anyone or what anyone owes you. You must have a place you can go to where you do not know who you're married to or who your children are. And I love the idea of disidentifying and like all that constructing we do, all the all constructing and criticizing and the cruelty. And so for 10 minutes a day, being able to drop those facades, like drop the false selves that we over identify with all these roles, all these, you know, the ego and to be able just to be, um, I think is is really powerful. And this is one of my most favorite podcasts we've ever done. Thank you. I love that quote. I want, I hope you will send it to me because I might consider putting it in the book because that is exactly what I'm um, advocating for people to do once a day, you know, and if you have space in your home where you have a meditation corner, have Mm -hmm. your, have your, you know, comfortable chair or your cushion and your beautiful mirror and, and, and sit with yourself for 10 minutes a day. And just drop all those roles and and, yeah. and all those expectations and just have a meeting with yourself and, and listen. Listen to what you have to say when you're silent. Listen to what comes up from within you when you're silent and you let go of those roles and those to-dos and the who am I's. I love it. Wow. That is, that is fantastic stuff. I think that is a great note uh, that we can end this wonderful conversation on. Other than just like uh, Tara, tell us um, how can they get in touch? And and by the way, when is this next book you're working on coming out? My book is um, coming out. The working title now is Facing Yourself. It's going to be published by New Harbinger and it's coming out in in, uh, 2022. But in the meantime, you can okay. check out my website, which is meremeditation.com. I have a seven-day challenge that you can sign up for, and that'll get you on my mailing list, and I'll be able to tell um, you about, uh, uh, your viewers about um upcoming when my book's coming out. And I also have um, a Psychology Today blog that has over a million readers. That's all about the topics that we talked about today and more, um, self-awareness, narcissism, meditation, emotion regulation. I also talk a lot about dealing with loneliness, which we didn't talk about today. That's a big topic for people these days. And really, again, cultivating that relationship with yourself is really the key to being comfortable alone. 
So um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. We have a, a Facebook page, a Mirror Meditation Facebook page. You can simply Google my name, Tara Well, and uh, all that information will come up. And um, so I look forward to staying out there. They will find you. I just signed up for your seven day challenge. So I'm on the list. Great. We'll put some of this in our show notes as well, just to spread the SEO love. Um, But uh, thank you so much, uh, Tara, for taking a little time with us. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. This episode was brought to you ad-free by the Big Self School. And if you have been a part of the growing community from around the globe, 34 countries by last count that are following these uh, episodes on a weekly basis, we love your presence. We are so glad you're listening. We hope this process is making a difference in your life. If you would be so kind as to help our online visibility by giving us a review on Apple iTunes, we would be deeply grateful. We're starting this podcast from scratch. We've been doing it for a year now, bringing content value to our listeners at least once a week and your support. And even this one small way, well, I'm going to call it a big way. It's a big way and it will make a big difference. Thank you as always for tuning in and we'll see you you next week.